We all know that, now we know the rule, the guiding rule concerning faith in Allah's attributes. And we know the guiding rule concerning faith in the last day. The guiding rule concerning faith in the last day is to believe in whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has informed as to what will occur after our death. Or what the Prophet Muhammad has referred to what will occur after our death. And now we come to the sixth pillar of faith, the faith of faith of Qadr. So the sixth sect, Al-Firqat Al-Majiyah, has faith in that which Allah has decreed the good and evil consequences thereof. Now here I want to come to a point about how do we translate the word Qadr. Sometimes the word Qadr, depending upon the context in which it's used in the Quran and Sunnah, means Allah's decree. Allah's decree. It's His act of decree. And sometimes the word Qadr means that which has been decreed by Allah, that which He has created, that which has been decreed by Him. So when we say, Qadr is good and it's evil, we don't refer, we don't mean Allah's decree. Because Allah's decree can have no evil in it. Pay attention to this, this is a very uh, tricky point. When you look at the Quran and the Sunnah and you find the word Qadr, sometimes it means that sometimes it means Allah's decree. Sometimes it means Allah's decree. His knowledge, his writing in the book, preserved tablets, his willing and his creation. And sometimes it means that which has been decreed by Allah. That which has been created by Allah. So when we translate and you believe in Qadr, it's good and it's evil, here Qadr doesn't mean Allah's decree. Because Allah's decree cannot have any evil to us. Allah's decree is good only. What it means is that which has been decreed by Allah, the good and evil consequences of that decree. This is a very important point. So we say that you believe in Qadr, it's good and it's evil. Don't translate it to believe in Allah's decree the good and evil of this decree. Because Allah's decree is always good. وَالشَّرُّ لَيْسَ إِلَيْكَ as in Dua Al-Qanut. That evil is not attributed to you. So Allah's actions are all good. However, what Allah has decreed, what Allah has created, the outcome of His decree, there can be a good or evil consequence of that to a person. So let me give you an example. Allah's decree that a person becomes ill is good. The outcome of that decree, what he has decreed, what he has created, that disease in that person, can either be good or evil. The outcome of it. It can be good if the person is patient upon that illness and it results for an expiation of his sin. And it can be evil if the person is impatient and then he starts having anger with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Oh Allah, why did you create me like this? Oh Allah, why did you cause this person to die? So therefore, the decree of Allah is always good. 
But that which Allah has decreed, that which Allah has created, the outcome of His decree can either have a good consequence or an evil consequence to that person or to that thing that Allah has decreed. So Ahl Sunnah al Jama'ah believes in what Allah has decreed, the good and evil consequences thereof. And their faith in Allah's decree is, consists of two points. Each point in turn encompasses two matters. The first point is that they believe that Allah knew what the creation would do by His knowledge, which He knew of the, what they would do before He even created them. So Allah knew whatever the creation would do, whether it was an act of obedience, whether it was an act of disobedience. Also Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew how long their lives would be, how much sustenance, risk they would have, and so forth and so on. And Allah, the second point, second aspect of this first point, is that Allah then wrote these measures. What good deeds they did. What bad deeds they did. Whether they lived long or short lives. How much sustenance they had. He wrote all of these things in the preserved tablet. Allah al-Mahfur. Because we know the hadith of Abu Dawood, reported by Hubad in the Salat, that when the Prophet, the Prophet said, the first thing which Allah created, the first thing which Allah created was the pen. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the pen, Uktub, write. So the pen said, what should I write? What should I write? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to the pen, write whatever is going to happen until the day of judgment. Write whatever is going to happen until the day of judgment. And in the hadith of Sahih Muslim, the Prophet ﷺ had said that Allah wrote the measures of the creation before He created the heavens and the earth by 50,000 years. And His throne was above the water. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered the pen to write that we would gather in this masjid, in this city, on this afternoon, that we would sit in this manner, that we would wear these clothes, that I would say these words before He created the heavens and the earth by 50,000 years. Nothing which will occur until the Day of Judgment except that it's written in that book. And how does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala how did He write this? Because He knows everything even before it happens. And this is the first aspect of faith, iman and qadr. And as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has gathered between these two points in a verse in His book. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَلَمْ تَعْلَمْ أَنَّ اللَّهَ يَعْلَمْ مَا فِي السَّمَاءِ وَالْأَرْضِ إِنَّ ذَلِكَ فِي كِتَابٍ إِنَّ ذَلِكَ عَلَى اللَّهِ يَسِيرٍ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Do you not know that Allah knows whatever is in the heavens and the earth? Whatever is going to occur in heaven or in earth. And all of that is in a book. This is the law al which the pen wrote. And that upon Allah is easy. This is the first aspect of belief in Qadr. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, مَا أَصَابَ مِن مُصِيبَةٍ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَلَا فِي أَنفُسِكُمْ إِلَّا فِي كِتَابٍ مِنْ قَضَلْ أَنْ نَبْرَأَهَا 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, no misfortune, nothing bad, befalls on earth, occurs upon earth, or occurs among yourselves, except that it is written in a book before we brought it into being. What does it refer to over here? It means before we brought the earth into being, and before we brought you into being. And indeed, that is upon Allah easy. So this writing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala occurred before He created the heavens and the earth by 50,000 years. And then there is a second writing. Another writing occurs when every one of us was in his mother's womb. When a person is in his mother's womb and after a hundred and twenty days pass, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala orders the angel to blow the soul into the fetus, into the creation in the mother's womb. And Allah tells the angel to write four statements. Write what? Write his sustenance. How much money and how much food and how much wives and how much sustenance will he have? And likewise, to write his life span. How long will he live? And to write his deeds. And likewise, to write, will he be in the, ha- uh, the hereafter, sad, Will he be in the hellfire or will he be happy in paradise? This information is taken from that book which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered the pen to write 50,000 years before he created the heavens and the earth. So this is the first part of belief in Qadr. And the sect which is known as Al-Qadariyah, those who deny Qadr, used to deny this aspect during the time of the Prophet's companions, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, They used to claim that Allah does not know what is going to happen until it happens. They used to believe, as if you read the first hadith in Sahih Muslim, that Allah wouldn't know, this is their belief, that Allah does not know that we would have gathered in this masjid until we have gathered. And this belief is kufr. Whoever holds this belief is outside of the fold of Islam. That's the first half of Qadr, belief in Qadr. The second half of belief in Qadr is to believe that in Allah's all-embracing will, in the sense that Allah's will encompasses all things. Nothing escapes His will. And His all-embracing ability, nothing is impossible for Him. So, it means to believe that whatever Allah wills, is. And whatever Allah does not will, is not. And that therefore there is not in the heavens a single action or state of rest, non-action, except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has willed that action to occur or that non-action not to occur. That there is nothing which occurs in His kingdom, in His sovereignty, in His domain, except by His desire, His will. And that He is subhanahu wa ta'ala capable upon everything whether those things which exist or those things which do not exist. He's capable of bringing those things which do not exist into existence. So therefore, there is not, this is the fourth part, there is not a single creature in earth or in the heavens except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created it. 
There is no creator besides Allah and there is no Lord besides Him. So what does this mean? Remember we said last night that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills something, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala desires something, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants something, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees something, it's of two types. One, in the sense that He has created it and He has permitted it. And the other, in the sense that He has ordered it and He loves it. So in this sense, we see that Allah's will is all-embracing, all-encoming, we mean in the first sense, that He has permitted things to happen. Not that He necessarily loves everything which happens, but that He has permitted it to occur. And nothing occurs in His kingdom except what He permits. And He permits these things to happen for a great wisdom which lies within subhanahu wa ta'ala. And with this, we believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered His creatures to obey Him and to obey His messengers. And he has forbidden them from disobeying him and disobeying his messengers. And that Allah loves those who obey him. And that those who are pious and do good. And he loves and he is pleased with those who believe and do righteous actions. Just like he hates, he does not love the disbelievers. And he is not pleased with those people who are sinful, who are immoral. And that Allah does not order or command people to do acts of sin or immorality. Just like he is not pleased, he is not happy when his servants are disbelievers and are disobedient to him. And that he does not love corruption on the earth. So, only when you understand that we say that Allah wills everything, that in the context that he permits and he creates everything, you can understand Qadr. When you think that it means when we say that Allah wills everything, that he loves everything, then you misunderstand Qadr. You misunderstand Qadr. So therefore, if somebody was to say to you, does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, did he decree that the Christians worship Isa? Yes, he has decreed that. Yes, he has willed that, in the sense that he has permitted that. In the sense that he allowed that to occur. Because nothing can occur except if he wills it to occur. But he does not love that to occur. Indeed, he has sent his books and his messengers to call the people to leave that. But he permits it. Why does he permit it? For a wisdom which lies with him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So one must distinguish between Allah allowing, permitting, creating something, and Allah loving, ordering, and being pleased with something. These are two different matters. We say that Allah wills something, you have to know what context do we mean it in. In the context of Qadr, it means that he has permitted it, he has allowed it, he has created it. Why? For a wisdom which lies with him. So did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decree the existence of Iblis? Yes. But in what sense? In the sense that he has created Iblis. And then he permits Iblis to be sinful and to lead people off the path. Why? It's for wisdom which lies with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Does Allah love what Iblis does? Does Allah love Iblis? No. No. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told Iblis that on the day of judgment he will put Iblis and all those who follow him into the hellfire. So these two matters must be very clear in our minds. And with this, Ahl al-Sunnah al-Jama'ah believes that the slaves of Allah, the creatures, really do their acts. The Sufis and those who believe that Allah has compelled us upon our acts 
say that we do not do our actions, that we are just like a feather in the wind. You know, the feather, when the wind blows, it goes in this direction, that direction. It has no control of which direction it goes to. The Sufis believe that people are like that. So we believe that people are like that. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has compelled them upon their actions. They have no choice. They have no will. But we believe that every single person literally does his own action out of his own will. But we also believe that Allah has created his actions. That Allah is the author of his deeds. What does that mean? We see that Allah, from the belief of Anasim Jamal, that Allah has created the deed of the slaves. First of all, what is the proof of that? The hadith is very clear. إِنَّ اللَّهَ خَلَقَ كُلَّ صَانِعُ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created every maker and what he makes. Every doer and what he does. So, but what does this mean though? That Allah has created our deeds. That Allah is the author of our actions. It means, whenever you do a deed, whenever you do an action, two things come into play. A will, a desire to do that deed, and an ability to do that deed. And I'll give you an example. We recognize that one of the differences between us and the animals, for instance, we are the creation of Allah and the animals are the creation of Allah. One of the differences is that we have a choice of will to do actions and not to do actions. The animals, for instance, don't have that choice. They only follow their instincts. Likewise, the angels of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do not have a choice on their deeds. They only do what they are told to do. Mankind and the jinns Human beings, the jinns, have a choice over their deeds. Who was the one who gave them that choice? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who was the one who gave the ability for man to choose and jinns to choose their deeds? And at the same time created the angels without that volition, the animals without that type of volition. Who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Likewise, who is the one that gives a person an ability to do something? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who gives you the ability to choose your actions and the ability to complete those actions Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so since Allah is the one who gave you the choice and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you the ability then therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the creator of your action not this doesn't mean that Allah has compelled you forced you to do your action no but it means that all that since Allah gave you the choice and the will that Allah is the creator of the action because the creator of the uh, the creator of the cause is the creator of the effect of that cause. But yet we do our own actions out of our own choice. Out of our own choice. So therefore, it is the creep, the servant, the, the slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is either the believer or the infidel, the mu'min or the kafir. And it is the slave of Allah who is either the righteous believer or the immoral believer and it is the slave of Allah who is the one who stands and prays. And the slaves of Allah have an ability to choose their actions. And they have a desire, a will to choose their actions. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created them, their attributes, their qualities, their personalities, how they look, how their character is. Some are patient, some are impatient, some are tall, some are short, some are kind, some are harsh, some are generous. Some are stingy, and likewise he is the creator of their deeds, their actions. How? Because he's given them a will, and he's given them an ability.
this second level of qadr, second aspect of qadr, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills everything, and that He has created everything, among which are deeds, the sect which is known as al-qadriyyah, those whom the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has said that they are the majus, the magians of this ummah, they deny this aspect of qadr. The second aspect. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has said concerning them, that verily the Qadariyah, those who deny the second aspect of Qadr, are the Majus of this Ummah. So if they are sick, do not visit them. And if they die, do not pray Janazah upon them. And this shows us how Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah deal with the people of Bid'ah. That the relations with the people of Bid'ah is not one like the relations with the other Muslims, the Muslims from the people of the Sunnah. This rule that Prophet set is not only for the Qadariyah. But it's a general rule concerning every person who is an innovator, every heretic. That his rights are dropped. In order, why? Because if the people are not saying salam upon him, if he's sick, the people are not visiting him. If he dies, the people do not pay janaz upon him, perhaps he will leave that horrible statement, that heresy which he has innovated to the religion of Allah. And of course, one can apply these rules only when one sees a benefit in that. But when the majority of the people are raubators, then in that case, you do not apply these rules because the people are in need of you. So you must go to them to give them da'wah. But when the innovators are few, these rules come into play in order to show harshness to them that perhaps that they will repent from their innovation. So the people concerning Qadr are two extremes. There are those who deny Allah's Qadr and there are those who say that Allah has compelled man to do his actions. We at Jama'ah say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's qadr, we believe in it, and it's four points. That Allah's knowledge, He knows everything. That He's written that into the tablet, everything which will occur to a day of judgment. That whatever Allah wills is, or whatever He does not will, will not occur, will never come to pass. And that Allah has created everything. Created us, our physical qualities, our personalities, and also our deeds. But we only say that Allah creates our deeds in the sense that He gave us a choice and an ability and from which our deeds occur. So the one who creates the cause, He is the creator of the effect. And likewise, and likewise, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made us responsible over our deeds. And He has ordered us to be pious and He has forbidden us from immorality. This is our fundamental concern the belief of Ahl al-Qadr. We now come to another principle of Ahl al-Sunnah and this is a very important principle and this is concerning their position concerning what is deen and what is iman what is faith and what is religion Ahl al-Sunnah the principle concerning this is that they say that the deen the religion and faith iman consists of both statement and action both word and deed the statement of the heart, which means the beliefs held by somebody in the heart, and the statement of the tongue, meaning his remembrance of Allah and his expression of the beliefs in his heart. And also the action of the heart, which means the fear, the hope, the love, and the reliance and trust in Allah. And also the action of one limbs, like prayer, fasting, hajj, jihad, commanding good and forbidding evil, da'wah, and so forth and so on. And that with this they believe 
that faith increases due to good deeds and decreases due to evil deeds, due to acts of disobedience. So therefore they do not charge as a captive. They do not charge as a disbeliever, as an infidel. Any person from this ummah, due to a sin he does, even if it's from the kaba'ir, even if it's from the major sins, like the khawarij do. So when a person commits zina, may Allah protect us from that, or steals, or lies, or disobeys his parents, we do not call him a disbeliever, a kafir because of that, like the khawarij do. Because we see that faith increases with good deeds, and decreases with bad deeds. So his faith has now decreased, so he's not left Islam. Nor do we say, but rather we say, that the brotherhood of faith, the akhuwa, due to iman, is still confirmed, even with sins. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in the Quran, وَإِن طَائِفَتَانِ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ اِقْتَتَلُوا فَأَصْلِحُ بَيْنَهُمَا That if two parties of the believers fight with one another, make peace between them. So here, even though they're fighting with one another, which is one of the major sins, to kill a Muslim, yet what did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala call them? Believers. He said if two parties of the believers fight with one another, then make peace between them. So Allah calls them believers, even though killing a Muslim is a major sin. Even though killing a Muslim is a major sin, but yet Allah still calls them believers. <coughs> and also, we do not say, Anasul al-Jama'ah does not say that the fasta, the one who has committed a major sin, that he is neither a believer nor a disbeliever. So we place him in a position between the two positions, like the Martezina do. See, the Marquesina is another sect, a straight sect. The Khawarij said that a person who commits a major sin, like stealing, like lying, like cheating, like homosexual acts, they consider him a kafir outside of the fold of Islam. The Marquesina, and condemn him to the hellfire for all eternity. The Marquesina say, no, we won't call him a kafir, but we won't call him a believer. We'll call him a fasta. We'll put him in a position between the two positions. But yet they still say that he's in the hellfire for all eternity. They still say that he's in the hellfire for all eternity. Rather, what we say that the fasta, the fasta is still part of the religion of Islam. He's still a Muslim. Even though his faith is not complete. Because we say that faith increases and decreases. So faith has degrees to it. And this is the meaning of the hadith of the Prophet That the person who commits zina is not a believer while he's committing zina. And the Prophet said, That the thief is not a mu'min when he steals. And the Prophet said, 
وهو مؤمن because the person who drinks wine is not a mu'min when he drinks wine it doesn't mean here that he is not a mu'min that he's outside of the religion of Islam but it means that he is not a mu'min in the fullest sense of the world in the sense that his iman is complete in the sense that his iman is complete he doesn't deserve this honorific title of mu'min because he's committed a major sin but it doesn't mean that he's outside of the fold of Islam he is not like those who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ إِذَا ذُكِّرُوا اللَّهِ وَزِلَتْ قُلُوبُهُمْ وَذَا تُلِيَتْ عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتُهُ زَادَتْهُمْ إِيمَانًا The person who commits zina, illicit sex, the person who steals, the person who drinks wine, is not like that those people who Allah has described and saying, verily the believers are only. Those when Allah is mentioned, their hearts quiver. And if his Verses are recited upon them, their faith increases. He doesn't deserve this honorific title. That's why the Prophet said, La yazni yazani hina yazni mu'min. It doesn't mean that he's outside of Islam, but rather his faith has become weak. His faith has become weak. So therefore, Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah says concerning a person that he's naqisul iman, that he has short of faith. Or that he is a mu'min by his faith and a fasiq by his kabira. You can call the person who makes a major sin one of two things. Either you can say he's a mu'min by his faith and a fasiq by his major sin, an impious person by his major sin, a believer due to the faith he has in his heart, but yet an impious person due to his sin. Or you can say that he is a mu'min, a believer, but with naqsul iman. He has a short faith. His faith is not complete. Alaykum So therefore we do not apply this title that he is a believer just like that. Like the Murjiyas say. That he's a believer. They, some of them say that his faith is like the faith of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa in Jibreel. How could be the most impious of this ummah's faith like the faith of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa in Jibreel? And yet at the same time we do not call him a disbeliever. We do not call him a kafir. We do not say that he's going to the hellfire for all eternity. But we say that he's a mu'min with his faith and a fasiq by his major sin. An impious person, an immoral person by his part is his sin. Also from the fundamentals of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah is their position concerning the Prophet's companions, his Sahaba. And a Sahabi, one of the Prophet's companions, is whoever met the Prophet ﷺ, believing in him, and died upon this faith, and died upon faith. <coughs> so, Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, therefore, preserve their tongue from speaking ill of the companions. Just like they preserve their hearts from thinking ill about the Prophet's companions. Rather, they are towards the Prophet's companions, like the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَالَّذِينَ جَاءُوا مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا اغْفِرْ لَنَا وَلِأَخْوَانِنَا الَّذِينَ سَبَقُونَ بِالْإِيمَانِ وَلَا تَجْعَلْ فِي قُلُوبِنَا غِلًّا لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا رَبَّنَا إِنَّكَ رَؤُوفٌ رَحِيمٌ 
those who came after them, meaning the companions, they say, O our Lord, forgive us and our brothers who have preceded us in faith, and place you not, O Allah, in our hearts, rancor towards the believers. O our our Lord Allah, indeed you are full of pity and merciful towards us. And likewise, they do not say anything about the Prophet's companions, or about, uh, think anything bad about them in their hearts, out of obedience to the Prophet ﷺ, who said, Do not insult my companions. For verily, by he who my soul is in his hand, meaning by Allah, if any of you were to spend in charity equal to the world, the worth of the weight of the mountain of Uhud in gold, it would not equal a handful of charity given by one of them or half a handful given by one of them. For those of you who have had the blessing of Allah to visit Mecca and then to visit Medina and pray in the Prophet's mosque and have seen the mountain of Uhud and how large it is. Whereas the Prophet said, Uhud is a mountain which loves us and which we love it. And sees that big mountain and thinks that if you were to spend the weight of that mountain in gold, not in food, not in silver, but in gold, in charity, it would not equal the weight of a half handful of charity or a handful of charity or a half a handful of charity of one of the Prophet Muhammad's companions. Also, Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah accepts what has been mentioned in the Quran and in the Sunnah and in the Ijma'ah, the consensus of the Salaf, concerning the different merits and ranks of the Therefore, they put forward and they prefer those who believe and fought waste jihad before the conquest of Mecca, which was reckoned by the treaty or the pact of Hudaybiyah, compared to those who spent and fought afterwards. And also, Ahl al-Sunnah say that the Muhajirun, those who came from Mecca to Medina, are better in general, as a whole, collectively, than the Ansar. Than the Ansar. Because Allah has mentioned the Muhajirun before he mentions the Ansar in his book. And likewise, Ahl al-Sunnah believe what the Prophet has said concerning those people who fought in Bedr. And they were approximately, approximately 310. The Prophet said concerning them, do whatever you want, for Allah has already forgiven your sins. And likewise, Ahl-Sunnah Jama'ah believes what the Prophet has said, that all those who gave him bay'ah, the oath of allegiance, under the tree, during the pact of al Hudaybiyah, will not enter into the hellfire. That Allah is pleased with them, and they are with him, with Allah. And they were more than 1,400 in number. And likewise, Ahl Surah Jama'ah testifies to those who Allah has testified that they will enter into paradise. Like the ten, Abu Bakr, and Umar, and Uthman, and Ali, and Talha, and Zubair, and Sa'id, and Sa'id, and Abu Ubaidah. They testify that these ten will go to paradise. And likewise, also, anybody else the Prophet said from the companions will go to paradise. Like Sabbath, Ibn Qais, and Shammah, 
and others from the companions, like Al-Hassan and Hussein and others. Likewise, Ahl al-Jama'ah believe and accept that which has been frequently mentioned is mutuwata upon Ali ibn Abi Talib, who would say, and others, that the best of this ummah after its prophet is Abu Bakr and then Umar. Ali ibn Talib, when he used to stand on the member in Kufa, when he was a Khalifa, he used to say, the best of this ummah after its prophet is Abu Bakr and then Umar. And likewise, they, Ahl al-Jama'ah, is the third best of this ummah after its prophet was Uthman and fourth was Ali. Although some of Ahl al-Sunnah wa Jama'ah had a difference of opinion concerning Uthman and Ali. Who of the two were better? Some putting forward Ali to Uthman and some putting forward to Uthman to Ali. And some staying silent, saying they cannot judge which is better of the two, Uthman or Ali. So the person who has one of these three opinions is not considered astray. But whoever says somebody is better than Abu Bakr or Umar, he's astray. He's astray. Although the correct opinion and the opinion upon which the majority of Ahl al-Sunnah al-Jama'ah are upon is that Uthman is better than Ali because of that Bayah was given to Uthman by the companions of the Prophet after Umar's death before Ali because they chose who was best amongst them. That was Uthman and other evidences which point to that. However, a person does go astray if he attacks the Khilafah the successorship of any of them. So whoever attacks the khilaf of Abu Bakr and says it was invalid, it was unjustly wrested from Ali or that of Umar or that of Uthman or that of Ali for that matter. Like the Khawarij say that he was an unjust ruler. Then this person is astray. Imam Ahmed has said that he is more astray than the donkey of his people. Also, Ahl al-Sunnah wa Jama'ah from their principles is that they love the family of the Prophet Muhammad's household. And they preserve in them the testament, the words the Prophet Muhammad mentioned on the day of Ghadir Khum, where the Prophet Muhammad said, I remind you concerning the rights or concerning the family of my household. I remind you concerning the family of my household, meaning take care of them, treat them well. They are my family. And therefore, they have a right upon you in that sense. And likewise, the Prophet ﷺ said to his uncle, Al-Abbas, when Al-Abbas claimed to him, complained to the Prophet ﷺ that some people among Quraysh ascended the Banu Hashim. Quraysh is a tribe, and they have subsections in the tribe, among which is the Banu Hashim, from which the Prophet ﷺ was from, and also his uncles were obviously from this subsection called Banu Hashim, and among whom was Al-Abbas. So some other sections of Quraysh said some bad things about the Banu Hashim. So Al-Abbas went to the Prophet and complained about that. And the Prophet told Al-Abbas, he said, by him, who my soul is in his hand. They do not believe, meaning their faith is not complete, until they love you for the sake of Allah and due to my kinship towards you. And indeed, the Prophet ﷺ has said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose of mankind the children, the descendants of the Prophet Ismail, in the Arabs. And from those he chose, from the descendants of the Prophet Ismail, he chose the tribe of Kinana. And from the tribe of Kinana, he chose the clan of Quraysh. 
And from Quraysh he chose the sons of Hashem, the Benu Hashem. And he chose me among its children or the sons of Hashem. Likewise, Ahl Sunnah wa Jama'ah support and love the wives of the Prophet And they say that they are the mothers of the believers, Ummahatul Mu'mineen. And they believe that the Prophet's wives will be his wives in paradise. And they, they support, in particular, among the Prophet's wives, Khadijah, who was the mother of most of the Prophet's children. And likewise they have, and the first person to have faith in the Prophet was Khadijah. And this shows us the role, the important role Muslim women have. The first person to believe in the Prophet Muhammad and the first people, person to back him in his affair of prophethood was a lady, Khadijah. And this shows the important role our sisters have to play in da'wah and supporting their husbands and supporting their sons and their fathers and their ummah in da'wah and in jihad and so forth and so on. And she had, Khadija had a very high position with the Prophet And likewise, Ahlul Jama'ah in particular has support and affection towards As-Siddiqa, the daughter of As-Siddiq, Aisha, radiallahu anha. Concerning whom the Prophet had said, Verily, Aisha, her met over all women, is like the merit of Sarid over all food. And Sarid is a type of food which the Arabs eat. And likewise, Ahlul Jama'ah just avowed themselves from the way of Rawatib, the Shia, those who hate and insult the Prophet's companions. And they also just avowed themselves from the way of Nawasib or the Khawarij, those who harm the Prophet's family by either word or deed. As far as the differences which befell the companions after the Prophet ﷺ's death, what occurred between them from war and fitna and so forth, Ahlul Sunnah wa Jama'ah, they are silent concerning these matters. They don't involve themselves into this. And they say that what has been related concerning their differences of the companions after the Prophet ﷺ's death, some of these reports are lies. And some of these reports, additions have been made to us. The story is true, but people have added things to it. And some of these stories, people have removed some facts from it. And some of these stories have been altered. They're no longer as they were. It really happened. But of these reports, there are some which are true. And the companions are excused in these matters. They are not held blameworthy. The affair of this Ummah will never be straightened until it returns back to what the first generation was upon. And this is our da'wah. This is what da'wah Salafiyah is. This is what the da'wah of Ahl al is. This is what the da'wah of Ahl al-Hadith is. That we call the people to understand Islam and to act according to the teachings of Islam in the light of those companions of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu That the rest of us are just their students. We are not making up sects and groups, choosing a leader for ourselves. Our only leader, our only example, our only model which we follow is that of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنَةٌ. You have a fine model in the Messenger of Allah, and the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, that fine model, said 
that the saved group, the group which will seek salvation, will gain salvation in the hereafter, is who? Those who are upon what I am upon today and my companions. We now come to the final fundamental of Ahsunnah wal Jama'ah and this Aqeedah. And that is that they believe in the Karamat, the extraordinary actions of the awliya, the righteous. And who are the awliya? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the awliya are الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَكَانُوا يَتَّقُونَ They have faith and taqwa. The awliya are not those people who say, I am a so-and-so wali so-and-so. I am a so-and-so person who is a wali. These are not the awliya. The awliya are those who have faith and righteous action. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَكَانُوا يَتَّقُونَ And the word awliya is a plural of the word wali. And wali means those who are close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the awliya are those who are close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And every believer has a degree of closeness to Allah according to the level of his faith. So those who have much faith, they are much closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And those who have little faith due to little good deeds and much faith, they are less close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But they still have some of wilayah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Ahl-Sunnah Jama'ah believes in the miracles and the extraordinary events which Allah allows to occur upon their hands. Whether it deals with knowledge, that they know things in an extraordinary matter, or that they have certain abilities which are extraordinary. Whether it has been informed, whether we've been informed about the previous nations, like those men in Surah Al-Kahf, those young men, we all know the story of Surah Al-Kahf because it's one of the Prophet's sunnahs. We should know to recite this Surah, Surah Al-Kahf, every Friday, every day like today. And the first story which Allah tells us in the Surah is about those youth who made hijrah from their people to live in a cave because they were afraid if they lived amongst their people, they would disbelieve. See how strong their faith was. See how much they realized the importance was of Islam. That they were willing, they were only young men. They weren't scholars. They weren't mature men. They were young boys. And yet they realized that if they were to stay among their people, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّهُمْ يَرْجُمُوكُمْ أَوْ يُعِيدُكُمْ فِي مِلَّتِهِمْ وَلَنْ تُفْلِحُوا إِذَنْ أَبَدًا That they will either stone you, kill you, or force you back into their religion. And you will never succeed then. So they left. And what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala occurred to happen to them, that they slept for hundreds of years and then woke up again, this is from the karamat of the awliya. So we believe in this. And likewise, what, else Allah, what other things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us in the Quran, like the fact that Maryam, the, the mother of Isa, alayhi salam, food would come to her while she was in the mihrab, while she was praying. Food would come to her. And Zakariah, the Prophet would say to her, where did you get this food, O Maryam? This is in the 19th surah of Quran. And Maryam would reply, this is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He sustains whoever he wills. This is all the karamat of the awliya. And likewise, what happened to the companions, which we find in the books of Hadith, and the tabi'in, their successors. And what happened generation after generation from the karamat of the awliya. We believe in all of this. We do not deny this. 
And this will remain in this Ummah until the day of resurrection. Until the day of resurrection. So this fundamental is also from the fundamentals of Ahl Jama'ah. They believe in the Karamat or the miracles of an awliya of those who are close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But here's something very important to keep in mind. A lot of times you hear stories concerning that this person had this miracle and this person had this miracle and this person had this miracle. These stories are only believed when they come with a correct chain of transmission. So we find in some book or we find some person saying, well, these people had some miracles happen to them unless we know that person to be trustworthy, that the person does not lie, he's of good aqidah, and that he saw that himself or heard that himself or related upon somebody who has the same characteristics that I mentioned in terms that he does not lie and he's of good faith and so forth. Otherwise, we do not accept it. Only then, when the when chain of narrators is true, we accept it. That is concerning the, only, uh, the, the karamat, which we find that happened after the Sahaba and are not recorded in the books of Hadith and so forth and so on. So with this, we conclude uh, this session concerning Al-Aqid Al-Wasatiyah and the last session concerning Al-Aqid Al-Wasatiyah which we'll give maybe after Salat Al-Asr will be uh, concerning what? Concerning the methodology of Ahlul Sunnah Jama'ah in understanding the religion and some of their fine qualities some of their manners some of their excellent qualities. أَقُولُ قَوْلِ هَذَا وَسَسْلُ عَلِي وَلَكُمْ فَاسْتَغْفِرُوا سُبْحَانَكَ اللَّهُمَّ وَبِحَمْدِكَ أَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنْتَ and now I will answer some questions if some brothers have some questions. I think we have about ten minutes or five minutes before Salat uh, al-Asr. We need to uh, close the session so brothers can go make wudu. Yes, brother. Yeah, um, you mentioned Qadr. Um, what were you asking that? You know when the Adam Salaam was sent down to the brother asks a good, a good question. As for his question, he said that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Adam to earth for his sin, was it decreed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or was it qadr? Or was it a punishment or was it qadr? Or was it qadr, Allah's decree? Was it a punishment or was it Allah's decree? It was a punishment and Allah's decree at the same time. Allah decreed to punish him by sending him to earth. Which is what it was. Allah decreed to punish him by sending him to earth. He didn't come to earth and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted him to stay in paradise. Everything which occurs, occurs by Allah's qadr. In the sense that Allah knows it. Allah has written it. Allah wills it and Allah creates it. So, when, before Allah created Adam, Allah knew that He would create Adam. Allah knew that He would create Adam. And He told the pen to write the creation of Adam. And Allah knew that Adam would disobey Him. And He knew that Adam would repent to Him. And He told the pen to write that in the book. And then Allah created Adam and gave Adam a will. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala permitted Adam he ordered Adam at the same time he permitted Adam to disobey him. And Adam, on his own volition, chose to disobey Allah. And then Allah punished him for that by sending him to earth. And Allah knew that Adam was going to disobey him before he created Adam. And Allah knew that he would punish Adam by sending him to earth. Because nothing escapes Allah. Yes, brother. Um, I have a question. Yes. Um, 
knowledge. As for your second question, which came first, uh, the repentance of Adam or him being sent to earth? Allah knows that. I don't know. So you should ask the Sahaba. That's what it the point is, is that Allah saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created him for the purpose of setting him down to earth, Allah created him for the purpose of worshipping him. Allah created Adam to worship him. Yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew that Adam would disobey him and that Adam would repent and that Allah was going to punish him and set him to earth. But Allah did not create Adam for disobedience. Allah created him to obey him. But Allah knew that he was going to disobey him. We must distinguish between the two types of will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah willing something in the sense that He has created it, He has permitted it, He has allowed it to occur, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala willing something in the sense that He loves it, He has ordered it. So for instance, let me give you an example, this is very important. For instance, when a person stands up and prays, Allah has willed that in the sense that Allah has permitted him to pray, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has willed it in the sense that Allah has ordered him to pray and loves him to pray. When a person hears the event, he doesn't come to the message. Allah has willed that he does not respond to the message, to the, to the adhan, does not come to the message, to the masjid, in what sense? In the sense that he has permitted him to do that. As Allah says in the Quran, that had he willed, everybody would have believed. He permits him. He allows it to happen. The man doesn't want to come to, to the masjid when he hears the adhan. But Allah is not pleased with it. And Allah has ordered him to come to the masjid. And Allah has sent a proof against him. And Allah has given him a choice in his seat, and Allah will punish him if he chooses not to come to the next one. So we say that Allah wills something, we must distinguish between these two matters. What is the answer to people who say, how can Allah be most merciful or most kind when he creates people whom he knows he will, will go to hell? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that they will go to hell, and Allah is merciful with them at the same time. Yes, Allah is merciful with them, and that is why he gave them prophets. He sent them books. He gave them 60, 70 years to live on the earth in order to mend their ways. And yet, at the, at the same time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that they're going to go to hell. Why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala create creatures which are going to go to hell? And he knows that? This is something which is in his wisdom. This is something which lies in Allah's wisdom. Allah doesn't do anything except for a wisdom. Nothing he does out of joke or sport or play. Whether we realize that wisdom or not, and we have to understand that Qadr is the secret of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which He does not show to any of His creation. Just like to say, why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala create you male and not female? This is Allah's wisdom. Allah created it for wisdom. Only He knows it. Whether like that or not. And likewise, why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala create people who are disobedient to Him? This is for our great wisdom, whether we recognize it or not. Yes, brother. Yes, Allah forgave him. At least didn't repent. At least the brother is asking, did not Allah forgive Adam? And did he not forgive Iblis? Yes, Adam repented and Allah forgave him. And Iblis refused and became arrogant. And refused to repent. And refused to mend his way, so Allah cursed him. Yes, brother. 
um, what is the position of the people who believe in the Quran and the Sunnah? They believe that the Sunnah is only applicable to the time of Muhammad Sunnah and not applicable to this time. The rule is, is that we cannot call a person a kafir unless he says or does or believes something which Allah or His Messenger Sallallahu has said is kufr. The question was, what do we say about those people who believe in the Quran and the Sunnah but say the Sunnah is only applicable in the time of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu So this statement that the obedience of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu that obeying his Sunnah was for a certain period of time, this is kufr. This is kufr, because it goes against all those passages in the Qur'an, which number close to 40, ordering us to obey the Prophet Muhammad And according to his hadith, where he says that the book and his sunnah will not separate until it comes back to him at the hell, at the pond, which shows that they're together until the day of judgment. Now, just because a person does something which is kufr, just because a person does or says or believes something which is kufr, does not mean that he's a kafir. Does not mean that he is necessarily an infidel. We only can judge him as a kafir, as an infidel, when all the conditions for applying that judgment against him have been fulfilled, and all the impediments for that have not been fulfilled. I'll give you an example concerning this case. If a person is ignorant, a person is ignorant, and he thinks that part of the Islamic religion is that the Sunnah was only to obey the time and the Prophet ﷺ only drink his time. And that after it, the Prophet ﷺ didn't want us to obey him. He thinks that it is the religion of Islam. He has no knowledge. He's ignorant. We can't call him a kafir. His statement is kufr. We can't call him a kafir. Until this impediment of ignorance has been removed. After he's been taught, and the proofs have been established against him, if he insists upon this opinion, he's outside the fold of Islam. So this statement is kufr, if he answers your question. But the person who holds the statement is not necessarily a kafir. Until all the conditions have been fulfilled, which to call him a kafir, and until all the impediments from calling him kafir have been removed. Yes, what happens then? Uh, all the impediments have been removed. He does not believe that Salah uh, was for the present generation. But he still goes and praying and fasting and all that. Can you still call him a kafir? Yes. In fact, you must call him a kafir. If all the impediments have been removed, he has now fallen to one of the causes of apostasy. Even if he prays and fast, even if he prays and fast, he's a kafir, he's an apostate. And if he was in an Islamic state, his wife would be separated from him, and he would be given three days to repent. And if he fails to repent, his head would be cut off. And he would not be buried with a Muslim. That's what would happen to him. On this side, inshallah. Last question, inshallah. Yeah. Does it say between Qadr and Qadr and Qadr? Could you distinguish between Qadr and Qadr? Right. What is the distinction between Qadr and between Qadr? Some scholars say that there's no difference between the two. And some scholars say that the Qadr means what Allah has decreed, and the Qadr means the decree by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the thing which He has created by His decree. These are two opinions. So the qawwa is what Allah has decreed, what Allah has decreed, and the qadr is what He has decreed. What He has decreed. And some say there's no difference between the two. Huh? Okay. So the qawwa would be Allah's knowledge, writing, knowing what will happen, writing what will happen, willing what will be happening, and creating what has happened. These are His acts and His attributes. 
This is the qada, the decree. The qadr would be that which he has decreed. The sickness which he has created. The death which he has created. The whatever action or object he has created. That would be the qadr. And the qadr would be his decree. That's one explanation of scholars. Other scholars think there's no difference between the two. And the terms are basically synonymous. Okay? Um, this will be the last question. Yes, brother. This hadith is talked about the um, about the uh, other. So what is mean? I don't understand what he said. But he is saying, look, um, when of you ask um, um, amongst the people of Ahlul so the hadith which your brother is relating is the hadith of Ibn Sirhud, in which the Prophet said, and I related part of it that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala sends to the fetus an angel and tells the angel to write four words: a person's sustenance, his lifespan his deeds, good or bad, and also whether he'll be in the hereafter happy or sad, whether he'll go to paradise or hell. Then the Prophet said, Verily, one of you will do the deed of the people of paradise until between him and paradise is a handstand. And then the book will overcome him and he'll go to hell. And another of you will do the deeds of the hellfire, people of the hellfire, until between him and the hellfire is a handstand. And then... Uh, he will do the, then the book will overcome him and he will go to paradise. What does this mean, this last statement of the hadith of Ibn Sirud? It's really clear. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the person, he knew that the person was eventually going to go to paradise or potentially going to go to hell. So here the Prophet is telling us that Allah's knowledge is infallible. There is no error in it. So that even if we see a person, even if we see a person, doing the deeds of the people of paradise, he might disbelieve and become an apostate just before his death. But notice what the Prophet said, that he's doing the deeds of the people of paradise. It's his action. Not that Allah forced him. And then what happens is that he does a deed which sends him to hell. He either becomes an apostate or he does an evil deed and that is more than his good deeds and it causes him to go to hell. You see what I'm saying? It's his deed. But Allah knows that he's going to do that deed. And therefore it's in the book. Therefore it's in the book. Just like a person is a disbeliever, or he's an impious Muslim. And 
people seeing that this person is going to go to hell from his actions. But just before his death, he repents, or he becomes a Muslim, and so he does the deeds of the people of paradise, and therefore, when it was written in the book that he's going to be for the people of paradise, he will, uh, will come forth true, and he will go to paradise. And this is also explained by another hadith of the Prophet where he says, that verily actions will be judged by a person's final actions. One of the signs of a person when he dies, if he's going to go to paradise or not, is what was his final action. Was it a good action or a bad action? So if a person dies, for instance, praying, as happened to Abad, the son of Uthman ibn Affan, in the Tabi'i, and he was the governor of Medina, he died making sajda to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was praying, and the people looked, and the people looked, and waited for him to come out of sajda. And then they realized that he was dead. This is a sign of a person who's going to go to paradise. Just like, may Allah protect us. If a person has a heart attack while he's committing zina, an evil deed, this is a sign that he's going to go to the hellfire. So the Prophet doesn't mean over here that a man is doing good deeds, and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees for that person that he's going to go to the hellfire, so unjustly Allah sends the hellfire. This is not the meaning of Allah Billah. But as Allah says in Surah Al-Saf, in the 63rd Surah of the Quran, فَلَمَّا ذَاهُ أَذَاهُ اللَّهُ قَلُوبَهُ That when they became perverse, Allah made their hearts perverse. They first became perverse before Allah made them perverse. Now that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows no injustice to the creation. We shouldn't think that, for instance, here's a man, mashallah, He's studying his religion and he's doing good deeds and so forth and so on and so on. And then also Allah, out of, for no reason, sends him to hell. No. Or a man is a person is one that works with the creation of Allah, then Allah puts him in Jannah. No, this is not how it is. But as Allah says in Surah Al-Saq, the Jews, when they became perverse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made their hearts perverse. They became perverse. They chose perversity. And Allah seals the heart set. Allah doesn't seal the heart and they're looking for guidance. Christ and seal their eyes and their hearing and their hearts and they're trying to be righteous never so the point is about the book is that this is Allah's knowledge Allah knows what will happen before it happens not that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just like for instance now if I give you an example to make it easy if somebody tied you to a chair and left you without food or drink for a number of days and then all of a sudden they released your, your ropes and they put in front of you your most favorite food and your most favorite drink. What would the first thing you would do? Eat. So if I said that this person, the first thing he's going to do is eat, this is because I have some free knowledge of the person's action. Right? Judging from human behavior. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created mankind and he knows what we're going to do before we do it. So Allah wrote in the book that we're going to go to, who's going to go to paradise and who's going to go to hell. Not that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forces a person to paradise and forces a person to hell unjustly. But Allah knows who's going to do good deeds and who's going to do evil deeds. And He wrote it. And it's finished. Huh? So inshallah ta'ala with that we uh, conclude this session. Subhanaka Allahumma bihamdika. Shadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruhu wa shukru. Nahmaduhu wa nastaghfiruhu wa nastahdiyahu wa nasubu ilayhi. ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا 
وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم أما بعد So we now come, we have discussed the fundamentals of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah And we discussed these fundamentals in five important subjects. Faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in His attributes, and faith in the last day, and faith in Qadr, and the position of Ahlul Jama'ah concerning the nature of faith and Iman and likewise their position towards the companions of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam We now come to their method their way their tariqah in dealing with the religion Ibn Taymiyyah then says, it is then the way or tariqah of Ahl sunnah wal jamaah that they follow the path of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, inwardly and outwardly. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered us to obey the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in more than 40 passages in the Quran. Indeed, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has said, as in a hadith of al-Bukhari, upon Abu Hurairah, that all his ummah will enter into paradise. كل أمتي يدخلون الجنة إلا من أبا Except for those who refuse. The companions were shocked. Because if you think about it, in the Day of Judgment, either paradise or hell. So who would refuse to go to paradise? Who would refuse to go to paradise? Since the other alternative is hell. They said, وَمَنْ يَعْبَى يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ Who would refuse, O Messenger of Allah? قَالَ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ مَنْ أَطَاعَنِي دَخَلَ الْجَنَّةِ وَمَنْ عَصَانِي فَقَدْ أَبَى Whoever obeys me will enter to paradise. And whoever disobeys me has refused. Has refused. So it is then the way of Ahl Sunnah that they follow the path of the Prophet ﷺ, inwardly and outwardly. Why did Ibn Taymiyyah say inwardly and outwardly? Because some people follow other than the Prophet's way inwardly. They follow a Sufi tariqah concerning matters of dealing with them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or they follow aqeedah other than the aqeedah of the people of the sunnah. That's inwardly. And outwardly, some people do not follow the way of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa in worshipping Allah or in dealing with one another or in politics or in society. So Ibn Taymiyyah said is then the way of Ahl sunnah wal jama'ah that they follow the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam inwardly and outwardly. And know that the only way to follow the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is to know what he was upon. Because with ignorance of what was his way, 
with ignorance of what was his message, with ignorance of what was his worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, with ignorance of how he dealt with the Muslim and how he told them to deal with one another, one cannot follow the way of the Prophet, even if he loves the Prophet. And this shows us the importance of studying hadith and of studying sunnah and of studying, and studying the seerah of the Prophet. And likewise, Ibn Taymiyyah says, they follow the path of the first to lead the way. The first believers among the muhajiruna and the ansar. Among the companions of the Prophet And they do this because they are obeying the statement of the Prophet The Prophet one time stood up and he gave a mawidah to his companions. He gave a preaching to his companions. And the companions' hearts trembled with fear, quivered with fear, and their eyes filled with tears. One of the companions stood up and said, O Messenger of Allah, it is as if this is a farewell speech. So give us advice. The Prophet said, I advise you to have fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that you hear and obey your leaders above you. Even if your leader is an Ethiopian slave. And then he told the companion something. He said, وَأَنَّهُ مَنْ يَعْشْ مِنْكُمْ فَسَيَّرَ اِخْتِلَافًا كَثِيرًا That whoever lives long amongst you, he will see many differences. And likewise, for those people who come after the Prophet ﷺ, they'll see even more differences. So what was his advice? فَعَلَيْكُمْ بِسُنَّتِي it is upon you to cling, to follow my sunnah and the sunnah of my successors, guided successors in their beliefs and actions after me. And the best of the creation fitting this are the companions of the Prophet So here we see the Prophet telling us that when differences appear, we should follow his path, his sunnah, and his path of his successors in knowledge and action. So the companions. Just like he told us in the other hadith, which we started off this series of lectures with, that the same group were those who were upon that which the Prophet Muhammad was upon, and his companions. And likewise, the Prophet then further on said, cling to this sunnah of mine and my companions with all your might and be on your guard from all introductions into the religion for every innovation is a straying from the truth and other hadith apostles will say that every straying from the truth every error leads to the hellfire and likewise Ahl al-Sunnah know that the most truest speech the words which are most true are the words of Allah and that the best guidance is the guidance of the Prophet Muhammad So therefore they do not place forward any words over the words of Allah. And likewise they do not place forward anyone's guidance, anyone's way over the way of the Prophet Muhammad And the Prophet used to teach him this in every single khutbah, which is known as khutbah al He would say, every single time he would gather with his companions, 
that the best of speech is the speech of Allah. And the best of guidance is the guidance of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa And for this reason, Ahlul Sunnah are known as Ahlul Kitabi wa Sunnah. The people of the scripture, meaning the Quran, and the people of the Sunnah, the Prophet And they're likewise known as Ahlul Hadith. And Ahlul Hadith here means what? Hadith doesn't mean to hear the Hadith of the Prophet but it also means the Hadith of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His words. If Allah in the Quran says, what hadith will they believe in after this Qur'an? And here hadith means the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And likewise, they're called Ahlul Jama'ah. They're known as Al-Jama'ah. Because Al-Jama'ah means unity. And as I said before, they are known as Al-Jama'ah for three reasons. Because they have gathered upon the Sunnah of the Prophet Because they believe in the Ijma' of the Salaf, of those who first generations of the Muslims. And because they are unified in the religion, and they do not revolt against the legitimate rulers of the Ummah. For this reason, they were called a jama'ah. Its opposite is schism and sectarianism. And ijma'ah is the third principle in the religion, after the Qur'an and the Sunnah. By these three principles, the book, the Sunnah, and the ijma'ah, they weigh all, with what, all which mankind is upon. From word, Belief and deeds agrees with book, the sunnah, and the unified consensus of the scholars, the ijma'ah, they accept from belief, words, and deeds. And that which goes against it, they reject, no matter who says it. And the ijma'ah which is valid is that ijma'ah which the first generations of Muslims were upon. Because after that, the ummah dispersed and differed. And you could not get the Ummah to unify on a matter anymore. So the Ijma' which is valid is not anybody who claims Ijma', but rather only the Ijma' of the early generations of the Muslims. This is their way in understanding and acting in the religion. And they likewise have certain characteristics, certain qualities, certain behaviors with these fundamentals which I have mentioned. The first is, they command al-ma'roof, and they forbid al-munkar. And al-ma'roof is whatever is known to be good by the sharia, or by reason, by custom. And al-munkar is whatever is known to be evil by the sharia, or by reason, or by custom. They command the good, and they forbid the evil. And in commanding good, one must fulfill four conditions. The first condition is that he must know what he is commanding and what he is prohibiting. He must know what he is commanding and what he is prohibiting. And that his commanding of good and his forbidding of evil must not result in a greater evil or the losing of a greater good. This is the second condition. And the third condition is that he must himself be doing that good or forbidding that evil. These conditions must be fulfilled when a person commands good or forbids evil. So they command good and they forbid evil, Ahl Jama'ah, not according to their whims and desires, but according to what the Sharia requires. So therefore, when somebody commands good and forbids evil, he must have knowledge of the Sharia. To know that this is a good and it's supposed to be commanded with. And that this is an evil and it's supposed to be forbidden. And that commanding this good will not result in a greater good to be lost. 
and that forbidding this evil will not result in a greater evil to come. Likewise, from the qualities of Ahlussum and Jama'ah, Ibn Taymiyyah writes, is that they view that it is required to pray, perform Hajj, wait Jihad, and pray Jum'ah and Eid prayers, and Jama'ah prayers, among their Imams, behind their Imams. And here Imams, we mean the leaders of the Muslims. Whether those leaders be pious or impious. So if the Sultan, if the Imam, if the Khalifa of the Muslims is a sinful person, a sinful person, not a kafir, but a sinful person, Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah still obeys him in what is the obedience to Allah. And if the sinful Imam, the sinful Khalifa, the sinful Sultan of the Muslims, wages jihad against the disbelievers, Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah fights behind him. And if he leads the Muslims to Hajj, Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah goes to Hajj with him. Because his sin is upon himself. And he leads the people in Salah, like Eid, like Jumu'ah, they pray behind him. Because his sin falls upon himself. And here, don't misunderstand it, we're talking about the sinful leader. Not a disbeliever who's upon the Ummah. Not a hypocrite who's upon the Ummah. But the sinful person. This is one of the most important principles of Ahl-Sunnah Jama'ah. Because they're preserving the unity of the Ummah. They're not revolting and making revolutions and making factions and parties which split the ranks of the Ummah and allow the disbelievers to take control of the Ummah. Likewise, Ahl-Sunnah and Jama'ah encourage and preserve and they do their prayers in Jama'ah. In Jama'ah. They do not try to do their prayers everybody by himself. But they maintain the Masajid of Allah, the Mosque of Allah. And they pray in Jama'ah. And among their qualities is that they say that their religion is to give nasiha, which means to be sincere, to be pure, to Allah and to His Messenger and to Allah's books, to Allah's book, and to the leaders of the Muslims and to the general folk of the Muslims. And they firmly believe in Allah's words. They firmly believe in the words of the Prophet. They firmly believe in the words of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he said, that the position of a believer, a mu'min, to another believer is like a building, each part solidifying the, solidifying the others. Other. And then the Prophet intertwined between his fingers. And they likewise firmly believe the statement of the Prophet that the example of the believers towards one another in their love and in their mercy and in their compassion towards one another is like that of the human body. If one organ or one part of the body is ill, the rest of the body is summoned to it with protection and watchfulness. And Ahl-Sunnah wa Jama'ah command the people to be patient during the times of tribulation. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests the people, like what is happening to our brothers in Bosnia, like what is happening to our brothers in Somalia, Ahl-Sunnah wa Jama'ah tells the people to be patient upon Allah's decree. To be patient. Not to be angry with Allah. Not to curse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not to show anger with Allah's decree. But to be patient with Allah's decree. 
And likewise, during times of ease, when Allah is blessing is upon a person, that they are thankful. That they are thankful. And likewise, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decree is bitter. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed is bitter. Like somebody dies, somebody becomes ill, somebody is lost, somebody loses their job. They are pleased with Allah's decree. This is the way of Ahl-Sunnah And they preach to the noblest of character, the finest of akhlaq, and the best of action, the best deeds. They truly believe the words of the Prophet ﷺ, that the best of the believers are the best in akhlaq, the best in character. The believers who have the best faith, most complete in faith, those who have the best akhlaq, the best behavior. And they encourage, Ahl-Sunnah that you establish ties with those who have cut it off from you. So for instance, somebody cuts off his relationship with you, Ahl-Sunnah encourages you to go and establish the ties with that person. And to give those who do not give you, and hold back from giving you. And to pardon those who do injustice to you. This is from the character the fine character of Addison or Jama'ah. And they command one another to be righteous towards their parents. Even if their parents are disbelievers. And we should not obey them in their disbelief. We should be righteous towards them and kind. And likewise in establishing the ties of the womb, in keeping one's connection with his relatives in a good state. And likewise in being a good neighbor and in being kind to the orphan and to the